What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Mike Zuniga Films Podcast. In this episode, I have with me Craig Adams. He's a nomad filmmaker, photographer, podcaster, and minimalist. In this episode, he shares his journey from starting wedding film school as a way to help wedding filmmakers improve their craft to now evolving as a full-time creator in the YouTube and media space. So without further ado, Craig Adams. How's it going, Craig? Thanks again for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Appreciate you taking the time to be on here and sharing your story and expertise. Yeah, let's get into it. I'm let's excited. do it. <laughs> These podcasts are really therapeutic. I just love to like think and get some thoughts out. Let's do it. Yeah, same. I mean, I love these long form type videos, audio, because it really helps. Um, it really helps the listener to get an in-depth feel of from the person that's speaking. And that's why I wanted yeah. to get you on this podcast because I know you have a lot to share. Different than YouTube, different than Instagram, Twitter. It's real. It's it's hopefully uncut. You mentioned being able to edit it, but I usually don't. I don't know. It, it's yeah, up to you. I, mean, I, 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 always, don't, I don't mind if you do or not. So Yeah, I mean, I always uh, say that to the guest just so they know in case because you, nev- you never know. Yeah, yeah. But um, anyways, yeah, so... Uh, I know you, it's kind of recent, but you just recently went to Colorado and I saw that video that you did and it was a travel video because I know you do travel videos and it was about you hiking your first 14er. Yeah. Right. How was that? Can you you tell me about that? I've done some mountains before and my younger brother has done a ton. So it was much easier with him there. But climbing up a mountain is one of the best and easiest stories to tell with video. Uh, You struggle up the side, not sure if you'll make it, and then you do. The climax, the victory, and then the down. It's fun. It's it's a little bit more stressful and, and more energetic than walking around a city, eating different places, and doing normal stuff like that. I like getting out into nature, so it's an easy story to tell. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I just like the way... Um, your drone shots, especially because those were awesome. Just the way they kind of like rolled over the hills made, I don't know. It made for me personally, made me feel as if I was like flying through the landscape. So it was, that was an awesome thing to add to your videos. But I mean, how was it on the top for that mountain specifically? Uh, yeah, it was not as windy as I thought. It was a beautiful day to be out there. Um, I'm definitely not used to the drier climate being Mm -hmm. an East coaster. So Colorado is always a joy when I'm out there. Um, I feel like I had the correct gear for the first time in my life because I spent a little money and got the correct, you know, camelback and, and hiking shoes and I had my own hammock this time. I didn't have to borrow anything from my brother Curtis. So <laughs> I felt like I was prepared camera wise, camping, hiking wise, drone wise. It was nice to fly with no one there. Barely saw anyone up on the mountain. It's nice to get up close. And once you're up high and you take off, you're, you're much higher than you usually can with the, what was it? 500 feet restriction. So Something like that. it's nice to be higher than yeah. usual. Yeah. So mountains are always nice, especially when you have a drone at the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good to get out of the city, change of pace for sure. So, um, I kind of want to learn more about your story cause I've watched some of your videos on your channel when, especially when I was doing 
um, wedding videos earlier on, and I kind of kept tabs on what you're up to and how you're progressing. But let's just take it back to where you started in your filmmaking career. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, yeah. It, it all has to do with weddings, I would say, from the beginning and up to about two years ago. Uh, just yesterday, I was in Washington Square Park uh, hanging out with some friends and someone rolling by on a skateboard was like, wedding film school, um, <laughs> which is always funny. So I started out in high school shooting my first wedding as a senior for an art teacher who knew I did video paid me 200 bucks. Uh, it was awesome. <laughs> I didn't know what to expect with weddings, kept getting more and more referrals as I'd put them on Facebook, etc. Um, and then went to college for film in, in Buffalo, did the normal liberal arts, television, film arts, major degree. Um, uh, but fell in love with just creating videos on the side about what life at college was like, uh, what it was like being a film major and then eventually what it was like to be a wedding filmmaker. Um, everything that I've done, I've gotten almost more enjoyment out of teaching others how to do it themselves and to just in general share what my experience was like learning something new and uh, sharing my story. And I think weddings was the first time that it really took hold with an audience a lot of people got a lot of value out of the education and eventually some entertainment from the behind the scenes and some of the tutorials started to take on a life of their own. I shared my personality more and uh, yeah, weddings eventually ran its course once I got a taste for being able to share whatever. And I think I've, I've moved into the travel space just because that's what I'm interested in right now. Before I was interested in weddings, so... I, 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 I'm just in love with sharing my story. It doesn't really matter what it is. I'm always going to do that. And video is probably the easiest way for me to share as much information in as elegantly as possible to as many people. So it's all about getting it out there. Yeah, definitely. So in terms of film school, um, what were some of the benefits of going to film school? Cause I know some of my friends, some don't go to film school and they started their videography career. Others went to film school and they were just as successful. Um, so what were some things that benefited you going to film school? There are the things that they put on the brochures, the facilities, the food, the sports, whatever, uh, the equipment that you're able to rent out as a major. Those things are kind of surface level. Um, it always, always comes down to people. And when you go to college, with 15 other people in a major to learn how to be a producer, director, DP, um, you're going to get the most out of connecting with like-minded people. Uh, I was always the video guy at high school and around my hometown, so it was mind-blowing when I was able to hang out with other people who, was, who were weird, like me, other film nerds. So just being able to connect with those people and think long-term, I, I regret not thinking um, a bit more and continuing to be friends with those people because, you know, that probably would have been the best long-term thing that I could have done um, because they're, 
they were basically in my shoes and a lot of them are like directors and almost all of them are in the movie industry right now. So, uh, college is, is about making friends with people who do the same stuff as you. Um, but for filmmakers it's different. I don't know. My, my advice is different. I, I am, I'm a weird person. I learn differently. I can't sit for a lecture. And I think with the internet, you can kind of teach yourself almost as much as you want. If you're able to do that, it's hard, it's hard to talk back in hindsight, but I kind I kind of wish I didn't go to college hmm. in a sense. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But I think some things did benefit you. I think, but like you said, it's the uh, the people that you meet in college. That's the one thing that kind of surpasses all the other academic stuff. In, in hindsight, I just I wasn't mature enough to realize that. Mm. And what I tell people younger than myself, asking for the same advice: Should I go to college? What should my next steps be? I want to be like you, or I want to be a filmmaker. Um, I always say create as much as you can shoot and edit every day, whether it's good or bad. I don't care. Just keep doing it. Um, find a mentor, someone who has been where you were and has the advice. Uh, and then just use the internet. It's, it's out there. If you put the work in, you can find connections with other people who are like-minded um, online and then meet up with them in person, whether it's a workshop or a conference or just, youtube comments <laughs> like you can find the people that i paid money to go to college for to be in a classroom with and be able to go get a coffee with online like it's, it's all about connecting with like-minded people and the internet makes it so easy to do that these days instagram yeah instagram just i could have replaced my entire college <laughs> degree with instagram these days yeah social media nowadays is is great because communication is faster. I mean, you get to, you know, once you message someone or receive a message from someone, you get to see their profile right away and, you know, you're able to make a connection rather than through prior ways of communicating. So that's definitely a big benefit from social media for sure. Yeah. Most people go to college with a high school diploma and, people track whether someone has a bachelor's or a master's or a doctorate in whatever specific fields that they're interested in. But so many people arrive at college with different emotional um, maturity levels and no one really tracks that. You like, you can't <laughs> assign, Oh, this, this kid is a level seven on the maturity scale. Uh, oh, that person's a three. Don't date that person. <laughs> um, so it's, it's an awkward thing where, that's so important how someone can manage their ego and um, be friendly and accept uh, defeat gr with grace and take constructive criticism, show up on time, keep promises. Like all of these things are, I would say, even more important than a portfolio or a technical skill because people will just get better as a filmmaker or editor if they keep doing it day after day. But no one really has a good sense of how mature someone is. Um, and I just, like, I, I just, I wish there was some focus on that for college. So I just, personally, I think college is kind of broken. And um, 
yeah, there's just other ways to learn and everyone learns differently. And, and, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm just trying to, trying to help people, uh, learn and, and arrive at places that I wish I, I did back then. So just trying to help as much as possible. Yeah. I like what you said there because, um, you know, college def I mean, going to college myself, um, I didn't go to film school specifically cause there was no film school. Um, but, um, yeah, there's a lot of things that college needs to fix. Um, and I think especially one of the things that people can benefit from is, you know, just that emotional intelligence, um, being a people person and, you know, that level of maturity, you know, growing as a person, you know, and, and understanding that and, and, uh, definitely what you said, wholesome truth for sure. Yeah. 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 I, I want to work with someone who's going to make me laugh. <laughs> and not throw a temper tantrum if they make a mistake and get embarrassed. Right. Because then, you know, if you're working with someone and they're on your team, that looks bad on you as well. You know, it's it's yeah. not a good thing. And people talk about what's your experience with this camera? Like how many years have you had with Excel? Like, I don't care. Like, <laughs> fuck you, LinkedIn. Like, I want to know if you're a real person who's uh -huh. fun to hang out with after a 10 hour day of working or something. Like, that's what I care about. No one talks about this stuff, though. Right. I mean, that that that's where relationships are built. You know, lasting relationships are built. You know, it's not just, you know, those those things that go away with time, you know. Yeah. Well, once you're on the same page with what someone's emotional and, and maturity scale is, uh, you can start to trust them because they're being authentic. And once, yeah, it's just, yeah, the long-term relations just come from that trust over time. So uh, you don't get that from Instagram when you're trying to network with people. Uh, there's this fake facade that we all have come to understand in some sense. And I don't know, the deeper I get into Instagram and social media and YouTube in general, the, the, the less interested I am. I'm going to be honest. So uh, I'm, I'm trying to double down on authentic, authenticity, if anything, anything to do with my work or ads with sponsors or collaborations in general. I'm just looking for the honest story, the honest way to tell it, and honest people to have fun with because <laughs> some people are too businessy. Some people will lie and not keep promises. And so, like you said, it's hard to figure out who those people are sometimes. Yeah. Um, I w I'm going to talk more about what you just said there in terms of authenticity, because that's very important, especially important topic nowadays with, you know, social media and all of that. But, um, kind of want to backtrack just a little bit. So yeah, we're going deep. Yeah, we're yeah, going we're real deep. Intense. I like this. I like this. Um, with when you graduated from college, um, cause I know you talked about doing weddings, being paid during weddings. Was that your first gig? What was your first paid gig as a videographer? My school had basketball. Uh, we did not have a football team. We were a very small school. I didn't play basketball, but I was the film guy in the stands trying to like hit on girls and hang with my friends and act cool. But I was that nerdy kid with the film camera. So I filmed all the players and then made reels with like the best moments from each player. Cause there were only like five kids who played pretty much. It was a small school. 
Um, and then I sold those reels to the parents because those parents were trying to get those kids into colleges with basketball scholarships. And that was such a lot. It was so much work for a small payout, but it was a payout and it was interesting because it was the first thing that worked to convince someone to pay me money for video. I was like, all right. So then I re recreated that model with soccer. So girls soccer team, because I was going to these games to support the team's so why not be the video guy making funny videos in the stands with my friends and then also shooting some of the all the all the goals uh, the, the 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 parents wanted goals so i would package those and sell them and all distinct i distinctly remember borrowing my my mom's car and driving out to shoot a soccer game for this girl but then like billing the parents for the time and the gas and i stopped to get food and i billed that and i just felt like it was so cool because i was young and it was the first honest money that i had made doing what i loved because i'd been a lifeguard i'd been i'd, I'd mowed lawns i've done all those stupid jobs but this was like a camera in hand I was in control of my destiny, making money with video. So that eventually moved into weddings. That was pretty straightforward. And I thought getting paid $500 to shoot a wedding was like getting away with some kind of crime. I thought, <laughs> I, thought I was taking advantage of these people. And then that jumped to 900 and then I was like, $1,000 for me to shoot. Like, what can I do to make sure that this is a value? Because it blew my mind. But there's always people above and below in everything you do. And if you have a good product, uh, if you're fun to work with, people start paying you 2000 3000 4000 So it just, it just, it, it always gets bigger than you think it'll be. You always mm -hmm. feel like you're getting away with something you shouldn't, though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, that comes with, you know, uh, business. Um, but I get this question a lot and it's for those that are, let's say shooting a wedding. I mean, it's a service-based business. Um, prices as they increase over time. Um, how did you determine your prices based on your work? I would say the prices have to go up and it's pretty hard, especially starting out as a young kid, to charge more for something that you're used to charging. And weddings are strange because you'll book a year, sometimes two, two years in advance. And when you're growing and changing your business model so quickly, um, you're shooting weddings for couples way differently than you are currently booking them. So there's this weird delay of experience and package and sale. Um, but my advice was always to get used to be hearing no. When I started out, I'd say yes to everything. And I would figure out a way to shoot and book the weddings that I shouldn't have shot. Um, there's a difference in trying to build a portfolio to gain confidence in the fact that you're going to go to this wedding and crush it no matter what. Um, because mistakes happen, and as you become a more mature wedding filmmaker, you're going to have backups. Uh, if you get sick, if your car breaks down, if all of your lenses break, you have backups on backups on backups. So eventually you have the confidence that you're going to kill the job no matter what. 
Um, and once you get your portfolio, you can command your price and say no. Um, if someone doesn't feel right, if they aren't a fan, if they don't trust you to do a job based on what you've presented and attracted them with in the first place, um, you know, you, you, you have a feeling of who you should or shouldn't uh, book. And giving out discounts and bending over backwards to book every single client is the worst way to grow. Um, so I'd say 50%. Yes mm-hmm. and no. You should you should be hearing... Uh, you should not take 50% of the inquiries uh, that you're receiving. Um, if, if you're booking all your weddings, if everyone is saying yes to your price, you're probably underselling yourself. So it's a give and take. It's different in different markets. People love to talk about markets, but it's so boring to me. Um, yeah, and just there's there's so much to it with like proving your value to other people, and so much of it is appearance. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I could go on. I could talk about pricing and packages and the sale of weddings for like. 10 hours i could just go <laughs> off but this is water i'm drinking water and not <laughs> alcohol so we can't do that tonight <laughs> when you started out filming weddings um were you i'm guessing you were primarily shooting solo um mm-hmm. starting out mm-hmm. do you have any yeah, tips first for couple. first couple ones do you have any tips for anyone that, you know, they're asked to do a wedding or they want to get into filmmaking? They don't have a crew yet, um, but they're just shooting solo. Do you have any tips for them when shooting a wedding as a solo there's videographer? A there's an unlimited amount of different ways that people could shoot weddings. And there's no right or wrong way. It always comes down to expectations. Um, brides and grooms typically have never booked any kind of film or video shoot before. Um, So sometimes you're working with people who have never used the language, negotiated. They don't know the difference between film and digital. Mm -hmm. Um, They just think it's like this magic thing that they see on TV. So you have to understand that. And you have to explain and set clear expectations. And when you're shooting by yourself, the thing that's hardest is multi-cam coverage. If you're shooting by yourself, you typically have one or two cameras. Some people are super crazy and have three or four, but shooting a ceremony with multiple angles is extremely difficult by yourself. You know, you, you can crush individual normal coverage of whatever's going on, but as soon as there's long recordings of, of a lot of stuff going on, set pieces in a short amount of time, you know, you need someone in the back. You need someone on both sides. It's just, it always comes down to the ceremony and speeches and dances and the first look. Those are the moments when you need multiple people, multiple cameras. But it's like, even then, why do you need that? You could, you could just sell yourself as a solo operation type and make a beautiful one-minute film, and that's all you give them. Like You could just give them a one-minute film for Instagram and sell that and be happy and and crush it and make money and grow or you could be the person who only shoots same day edits and you have a team of five people you just have to know what you want figure out how to sell to that individual client and then you know just go from there starting out though you're probably going to have to shoot solo (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's really hard 
don't promise too much. Keep it simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like the tips you you have. I mean, um, it it is definitely hard starting out, you know, filming solo, and there's a lot of things that you can learn. But I think it's, I think it's a good learning piece, especially for any route. I mean, if you continue to do weddings or if you continue to do, uh, you know, commercials or anything, I think weddings are a great teaching tool for sure. Um, because you have to, I mean, wouldn't you say, I mean, just because the pressure you have to know your gear, um, timing, things like that. I mean, that's what I've learned from filming weddings earlier on. Yeah. It depends on where you are, but weddings are just big parties, um, to celebrate a moment. Mm -hmm. So there's just a lot of pressure and a lot of time and money and effort being put into a short amount of time. So the value of documenting those moments of that day just makes sense. So sure, yeah, weddings are a great tool for beginner filmmakers to make some money and learn. Um, Yeah, yeah, there's emotion, there's meetings, but it always comes down to the the people. Mm-hmm. Man, man, I haven't thought about weddings this, this hard in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> it's been like, I think it's coming up on two years since I shot a wedding. Uh-huh. And I used to go to conferences and chat on Facebook. I like cared so much about what the trends were and what people were talking about in Facebook groups with with weddings, but I've been so out of it and it's it's reminding me how much there is involved and also at the same time I'm I'm so happy to not have that much going on. My life is much simpler right now uh-huh. and I've 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 made minimalism the the cornerstone of everything that I do and uh Damn, you're bringing you're bringing it full circle right back to me. <laughs> thank, thank you for that. Yeah, of course, of damn, course. Damn, damn, man. I mean, I want. I also want to talk about minimalism because I know that's a big part of your life as well. Um, but when did you make that transition over to create Wedding Film School? Because I know you like teaching, and you were doing weddings at the time, and it just kind of made sense to mesh them together and you know what gave you the idea to start wedding film school i've probably made about a thousand videos over a thousand videos on youtube i've had four or five channels um only two of them are still alive Uh, i got rid of the others just to download the videos and then scrub that for some reason but wedding film school and the craig adams channels are probably here to stay I transitioned into shooting tutorials, reviews on Wedding Film School, I think three, three, almost four years ago. Um, And that just coincided with me getting more serious about weddings. Uh, When I graduated Buffalo State College in 2013, I had to make a decision. Am I going to get like a Manhattan creative director job at this boring agency or am I just going to go hard with being an entrepreneur? And I made that path. Um, I had to make another decision. Am I going to become a, a, a full video production company that makes YouTube videos and does behind the scenes like TV shows with crews? And am I going to have a studio and, and be like that typical production studio path? Or am I going to be an artist? Am I going to be... Am I going to say enough is enough? 
uh, and keep things and go the opposite route instead of hiring employees, figuring out health benefits and getting interns and things like I went the opposite route. I got less. I simplified things. I doubled down and figured out why in the first place I would do any of these things. I increased my freedom of mobility and choice and control. And I think I made the right decision. Um, so that's when minimalism started. Um, I would say at the peak of wedding film school, I, I felt a disconnect, uh, like I was heading in the wrong direction. So I figured out what I wanted and to get out of weddings and to get away from wedding film school, which was about hitting hundred thousand at that point. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy now though. Good. I mean, that, that's, that's a good place to be. Now, speaking of minimalism, you know, sometimes minimalism can get a bad rap. I mean, I think it's just because people don't understand it. And I think, you know, people might think with minimalism, you live with nothing. But I think it's more so finding what's more important to you, kind of cutting the fat and, and focusing on, you know, not being distracted. You know, for you, what what are the benefits of living a minimalistic lifestyle? What, what have you seen? It's funny because a lot of people do talk about this bad rap that minimalism gets. And I think it makes sense if you are talking about a Western audience with America specifically. Um, look at Amazon. Look at <laughs> commercialism. Look at just materialism and the state of social media in general where growth at any stake and at any cost, um, share everything, look as good as you can. Um, the American dream happening and then kind of flipping. And even though we talk about how terrible it is, like I feel like it's coming back with everyone just trying to look as good as they can on social media. Whereas minimalism is kind of the way things are in the East, uh, at least with Buddhism and realizing that desires and buying everything on Amazon. And if you don't have it, just buy it anyway, is kind of the, the wrong way to go about things. So getting rid, uh, instead of just acquiring everything is, is definitely not as popular in America. I would say that's fine. Um, it made sense to me. Uh, it, it definitely starts physical. You know, everyone watches that minimalism documentary. They watch some YouTube videos and yeah, they'll, they'll see some people just trying to use the trend, um, for views and not really understanding it, but sure. Minimalism takes a, di a lot of different faces. It should, it, for me, it always comes down to intention. So it's not about owning less stuff. It's just about figuring out why you want something in the first place and then reevaluating what value it actually brings you instead of what the perceived value is. Um, yeah. So like I said, it starts physical and then you start to realize you can exercise minimalism in every aspect of life. Number of projects you take, the number of relationships and, and communication you open up with new people and existing people. Um, just how many distractions your mind has to worry about in a day. Um, 
means of income and just hopes and everything just figuring out just figure out what you need and then start from there it's sometimes it's nice to strip things down to just the bare essentials because if you can live with that everything else is just awesome up up <laughs> yeah how have you applied it to your filmmaking career I would say I don't really do freelance anymore. So I used to do freelance a lot. And I would I would call wedding filmmaking a sense of that, but it was it was kind of acting as a video production doing freelance for myself, but nowadays I barely shoot for other people unless it can go on my channel um in the form of some kind of ad or sponsorship, but I just I try to monetize my own content as much as possible. And I think that's allows me to be more honest and have more control over what I do rather than trying to promote and make something interesting because a company is paying me to do it. Um, but minimalism also extends to the gear I use instead of relying on a plethora of different ways to produce a video with gimbals and drones and all this stuff i scale it back to just the essentials and then figure out creative solutions to make a steady shot by slowing down and and having a bit more time and effort into the three shots i need instead of running around like a crazy person shooting two dozen shots that mm -hmm. half of them i probably won't need um yeah, so being more intentional with the gear I use to get the shots that I absolutely just need. Uh, it also comes down to projects and editing. If I can just have one computer with one hard drive inside and no external drives, I just shoot on the one project I'm working on, and then I just find some quiet place, cafe, and work on it one, two, maybe three days until it's done, and I just focus on that. I have no other distractions until it's done. And then I can wash my hands of it, get rid of the footage and move on to the next project. I think multitasking doesn't deliver as good of a product or a nice experience for the client or yourself. So I find a lot of benefit from just focusing on one thing at a time. Yeah. I like that because like you were talking about the perceived value in things and especially multitasking, you think you're getting more done, but in reality you're not, you know, focusing on one thing at a time, you know, you see more progress that way than, than if you were to take the multitasking route, which basically does nothing. Mm -hmm. And we just do what we've seen other people do. So we mimic other filmmakers or our friends or what we see on the YouTube videos. But there's a lot of different ways to do things. And it's risky to do something different that isn't proven to work. Uh, but my process works really well for me, better than the old way. So it's different than what most people do, but it works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's important. I mean, one thing doesn't work for everyone, but once you find the one thing that works for you, 
I mean, stick with it and keep going with it. So I think definitely, you know, with you focusing on minimalism, I think that's benefited you for sure, seeing all the success that you've had. Now, um, speaking of gear, that's always a hot topic, but, you know, how, how do you know when to, you know, get a certain piece of gear or upgrade to the next piece? I know you talked about, you know, whatever, you know, gets the, the job done, but for you personally, do you have any insight on that and what has helped you kind of upgrade gear over time, figure out what to get for the project or future projects? I think it's totally fine to get a bunch of gear, <laughs> too much gear when you're young starting out. Cause you kind of have to make mistakes to learn. And we usually learn the best when we make the mistakes our own <laughs> and on our own and not just seeing it from other people's perspectives. Uh, so I think wedding filmmakers usually buy way too much stuff and then scale back. I've seen it with a lot of other filmmakers, which is totally fine. Um, as far as what you need for the job, it always comes down to expectations. Uh, some clients want a big show, so they'll want a big fancy looking camera when we know very well that a little handheld A7 Mark III is going to do the job just as fine in their eyes like you could fool them if, if you told them it was a, a red epic you know they they wouldn't know the difference um so kind of getting past that facade of more gear equals a better product um yourself and in front of other people the clients your friends social media i think is a big step that we all have to experience the hard way on our own before we uh, move forward like I've been telling people it's not about the gear. It's about the, the people and yeah, the people you're working with way more than the gear, but I think people still need to experience it the hard way themselves before they learn. I did, mm-hmm. you know, I had mentors and more experienced people kind of telling me, but I feel like I've, I've moved past that. Yeah. Yeah. But Hey, hey, if you want to check out the gear I have, craigadams.com. It's all there. There you go. <laughs> Plug it in. <laughs> yeah, it's so authenticity, because I know you were talking about that, and I know you kind of tran- transferred into um, the creative space, being a creative and creating content, but still being an entrepreneur at the same time. Um, how do you stay authentic as a creative and creating content? I think we are able to evaluate how well we do each thing we do. Whether we say it out loud to friends or to ourselves, we kind of feel it. Um, I've done some ad deals that I just didn't, my heart wasn't in it, but I did anyway. And I think we know. Um, also, just if if your audience is used to one thing and then they get something different, I think you can kind of gauge the response. So whether that's like or dislike ratio or just the quality, the frequency of comments and responses to different things, there's all different ways to, to test whether something was a success or not. When you're working with ads and sponsors, um, 
a lot of them, honestly, especially starting out, like they don't set clear expectations of what a successful campaign or video project would look like. So say you're working with like Mercedes and you're just shooting a couple photos or videos for, for your Instagram and maybe one or two for theirs. Like it, sometimes they're just not clear about like what a win looks like. And if you don't get any kind of response email or phone call after the fact, like you don't know if they're happy or not. And that's frustrating. So it always comes back to you. And I think most people feel like they're messing up or not doing so well if, if they're just left to think f- for their own. So that always comes back to like, are you happy? Like we, we can talk and figure out if the client is happy. We can kind of dig into the comments and, and figure out, oh, did it get enough views? Are people liking it? Um, that stuff will always kind of be, I'm not sure. But what you can always be sure of is, did I like it? Did I have fun? Is this something I want to do again? If not, how would I do it differently? And I talked about setting a foundation, but if you don't want to shoot weddings, stop shooting weddings <laughs> like, or change them. You don't have to do anything. You can do whatever you want. Video is the Wild West and filmmakers are fucking rock stars right now. You can do anything. The world right now is really rewarding people who package stories and make them interesting who can make people care about something that they didn't know or know that they cared about in the first place. So I think video past words, past photos is the best way to get the most information across. Um, So it's a good time to be a filmmaker. I think minimalism has helped me a lot. You have to make mistakes yourself to learn the hard way. College is different, especially for filmmakers. If you have a mentor, if you find a community and you actually put the work in, you could probably get more out than sitting on your ass in a class expecting the education to come to you. Because you can pay ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 a year and get nothing out of it. Um, so I'm just here to help. Um figuring out myself as I go, but I I can at least try to help out other people who are following in my footsteps and want to be like me because I can save them a couple steps with the advice I tell you here. Yeah. I like what you said about it comes from you first. You know, if you have to be, you know, happy about the work that you're doing first and foremost, because if you're not, then it's not worth it. So, yeah, what's the point? Yeah, Why even exactly. do anything? Like, dude, I'll be honest. I'm I'm down the road. If I could shoot everything I post with my phone, I'll do it. Like, I'll get rid of everything else. If I can figure out a way just to post one photo and one video to Instagram and just get rid of Twitter, get rid of Facebook, get rid of YouTube, I would do that. Because then I would just eat, drink, swim, run, travel, see things, walk around, talk to people, get drunk, make friends, help my friends, help my family. Like that's it. Like once I get there, 
I, I, I'm winning. I don't need more. I don't need more money. I don't need more influence. I don't need anything. Like, uh, I just want to have fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's part of life. You know, you yeah. have to have fun. Yeah. Or else, or else, what's the point? You know, what's the point? Yeah, I'm, I'm not trying to cop anyone. I don't want to be a big, famous Hollywood movie star. I don't want to shoot the world's greatest weddings. I don't want to be Logan Paul. I just want to, <laughs> I just want to help the people I care about. Uh-huh. I want to keep growing. I want to keep experiencing things, and I just want to have control over the direction I'm heading. Yeah, control. I mean. A lot of us don't have control, especially in our work and what we're doing. But, you know, for those that can, you know, finding that control is definitely important. And I think, you know, you found that path. I mean, obviously, you're going to have to shift it from time to time, um, adapt. But, you know, that's that's important as well. So I've been shoot- I've been shooting videos for over 11 years now. Uh-huh. Been fighting for it. There's nothing better to fight for with tooth and nail than to have say over where you go in life. Mm-hmm. Like, that's it. Like, why wouldn't you try as hard as you can to finally quit that nine to five and make videos about windsurfing or something? I don't know. Fuck. Like, <laughs> <laughs> whatever you want, whatever weird thing. Video is, is the, uh, the melting pot to make it a reality. You just make the cool thing look cool to other people you can make money and do it anywhere in the world video is mm-hmm. great it's a great great time to be a filmmaker right now yeah and especially with you traveling right now um because that's what you're doing for a majority of the time um how did you make that transition from finishing or not finishing but kind of passing the torch over to is it scott who's running mm-hmm. scott scott strimple uh-huh. yeah he's in he's in philadelphia okay yeah uh so i i've been friends with him through wedding channels for a while we'd have little drink meetups in new york city so he'd come in every so often but i'd seen he'd been a normal super subscriber for wedding film school so not only someone who consumes the content and engages in the community, but actually makes an effort to help. So it was interesting. I had never sold an asset before because I make money in the short term with little things here and there, but Wedding Film School was my first asset that has value um, regardless of my interaction with it, and it grows over time. So it was time to uh, not kill it, not let it die, but just pass the torch, as you said. So I had never sold anything like that before. So that was a, a, a lesson for me. Reached out to all of the companies that had been sponsors for Wedding Film School or that I'd worked with in the wedding space. Had some great calls, threw some numbers out. Um, and I was always looking for a long-term play. I was always going to go with the person or the company that would grow it and nurture it the most because I saw the potential. Part of my pitch was a business plan for winning film school and it was a good one. You know, it can make a lot more money. It can grow bigger. And Scott was a good choice because I know that he's going to keep doing weddings for a while. He's expanding his team. 
he's going down the route of having a studio, having employees, uh, being a, a director of a video production company, the path that I did not take. So I saw that in him and he's been good. He's been uploading. We've been having monthly phone calls and yeah, it, it's definitely an asset that I still control a percentage of. So, um, as much as I can help wedding film school from the sidelines, you know, it helps me, it helps them. So I think it's a good relationship right now. Nice. I think that was definitely a, a big, you know, stepping stone that you had to take as an entrepreneur because now you're learning and going through the whole experience of selling an asset, a business that you've actually built and then moving on from that because, you know, you're not running it full time anymore. You know, so how did you make that yeah. transition over to, you know, being a content creator now? I've, so it's, I've had the Craig Adams channel for a little bit. It had some random ass videos, some weddings, some not, some home video. Um, but I took it seriously and started uploading two years ago. And that started as a daily vlog in New York City. That was fun to do for about a hundred episodes, and that just kickstarted my network, my face within the YouTube uh, filmmaker uh, family here in New York City. We got a bunch of other YouTubers who help each other out as much as possible, so that was a good spark for that relationship. Um, and yeah, it made me fall in love with travel again, and made me more confident in just sharing weird little ways to showcase my experiences. You know, not just the, the streamlined typical way of doing a travel film, but I'll always remember like I uploaded a vlog or something and one of my friends messaged me. He's like, you were, you were playing this awesome song in the video, but then like at 53 seconds, like you just like cut off the song and you just had another clip that was so different than what you were filming before. And then you cut off the music. Like, don't do that. That's not good. Like you should stop doing that. And I was like, okay, I'm going to start doing that in every video. now. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, so you just got to go with your gut. I think it's, it's always more fun to do something different than to copy what's successful. And like I said, it takes risk to do something that's different. You usually get more, you could fail greater, but you could benefit. You could hit the gold if you do something different than other people. People just want to be inspired. And there's no greater way than showing them something they've never seen before. And I, I still sometimes don't understand why people watch the things and care so much. But the response is always extremely gratifying. Uh, the messages, the inspiration the copycat, the parody videos, just people caring in the first place. It always blows my mind, but um, it's always fun. It's always fun to reach out and hear back from people. Yeah, because there's always going to be that that group of people that enjoy your content. I mean, not everyone, but there's always going to be that group of people that enjoys your content and you know consumes it. And when you were speaking, you talked about inspiring other people but what inspires you as a creative in your work? 
I think it's the people who take risks who do, do things differently. Like I mentioned, I'm, I'm interested by people who show me things I've never seen before. Um, yeah, people who make the jokes that make half the people uncomfortable, but it's it's like they went there. Uh, people who share things from their own perspective, which you know it's theirs because it's so different and out here. Um, people who show vulnerability, whether it's their travel films or vlogs or update videos or photos, um, just people who are real. Like sometimes you can tell. I think I think it's just as easy to to see the realness than to spot the fakeness. We're so used to it. Like we we're on our phones every day. We see it. I think we can tell when someone's being authentic, and the 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 response is always yes. Like that's interesting. Like we care. Um, so that's what I'm attached to. I've got a couple of people I follow on on Instagram. I try to use social media as a Rolodex, uh, so to keep up and to remember the people that I've met and I'm trying to talk to and and follow. It's impossible to keep up on all of your friends' content when you're a YouTuber. Mm -hmm. I can't watch everyone's videos. There's like 20 uploads a day. Uh, So I don't really consume other people's stuff other than the obscure. Like, dude, I love PBS Space Time on YouTube. That's the only channel that I watch. It's astrophysics. It's pretty much hundreds of videos on astrophysics just like 20 minute deep dive into quantum mechanics and like this weird sci. it's pretty much an intro level to astrophysics for a college and i'm like reaching out to the the guy who makes it on twitter and i'm like such a nerd but it's so obscure uh so that's what i'm watching on on youtube (laughs) interesting (laughs) i just like to learn i would i definitely would have been i would have been some kind of I don't know, scientist if I wasn't a filmmaker, for sure. <laughs> well, yeah. at least you have something to fall back on after watching all those videos. You'll be an expert. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yep, yep. Just a space nerd. <laughs> so, um, what, you know, from from what you said of, like, what inspires you, um, and now you're traveling a lot, what would you is that majority for work or for pleasure or a combination of both yeah everything i do is somewhere in between so i don't do something unless it's really fun or contributes to my growth value isn't always monetary and i would say earning money for something that you do is typically short term uh people like to hate on working for free or for a favor or something, but delaying gratification, especially in terms of money is one of the best ways to get more yield and faster growth down the line. Every single deal you make, every single relationship move, every decision should have some kind of long-term focus rather than short term so you know just shooting second camera for a wedding company that you don't really care about just because you can earn 500 600 for that day with the least amount of work possible um you go you do it you don't really care you don't respect the company or the person you're helping and in the end 
you don't get much out of it other than just a fat, easy paycheck. Like that's short term. Whereas, uh, following someone that you absolutely love, like someone awesome on Instagram that you would love to work with in the future, like your total fanboy. Um, but they don't know who you are and they don't care, but putting in the time and effort to like their stuff, comment with insightful comments, help the other people who are commenting, engaging in their communities. And then the moment that person asks or needs something, uh, you do it. And even better, if you could do the research and figure out what they want before they even know they need it and then get it for them and then not expect a single thing from them back, that's a lot of work on the front end, but that'll probably get you a coffee date you know you could meet this person and then you could connect and then you could like be invited on a trip and start shooting stuff with them and then that could be the single relationship that is life-changing for your channel like money's usually short term so doing the hard work and thinking long term is always better yeah yeah because when people want to reach out to, let's say, a creator on social media or Instagram, for example, and they may have a bigger profile than they currently do, and they're kind of scared, like, okay, you know, or they maybe think that they're they're never going to see my DM or whatever. But I like what you said, because if you're really, really invested and you really want to work with a certain person there's always a way there's always a different route um and being part of that community being part of that conversation that they have uh is very important as well like what you said um because it's always you know you want to give give and give and not really ask a lot but when that time comes when like you said when they ask you know you're ready and you're able to provide them value but you know not really not really ask for anything in return. And, and that's something that holds more value than money, you know, things like that. And yeah. Yep. So value comes in a lot of different forms for some people at a certain moment, like if they get dumped or something, a single 20 minute phone call could mean the world. And you could, you could weigh that against money. You could weigh that against gifts, experiences. You could weigh that against this person has been liking and engaging on my social media for like 10 years straight. Like value is different at different times for different people. So just figuring out the intricacies of intricacies of what people want and when they want it. Uh, that's, you know, that's the basis of relationships. It's, it's a give and take and, being able to delay your, you know, your gratification for someone else is the key to long-term. Like the invention of uh, gratification delay is the invention of time travel because you can, like, you can win way down the road if you sacrifice now and it's, how the economy works it's how stocks work it's how 
businesses are built, it's the it's why the world turns around. Like if you can sacrifice now for something greater down the road, that's the key to life right there. Yeah, it's the long-term play, you know, if that's something that, you know, you want to invest your time in, you know, something that holds more value down the line than, you know, just getting a quick buck now, you know. It's growth. Yeah. If you want growth, that's what you need to do because kids can just play Fortnite and (laughs) eat unhealthy and you know, mooch off of family, friends, take, and then work a job just enough to pay rent and play more Fortnite. You know, that's surviving, but are you growing? Are you helping? Are you moving forward in any way? It might be fun to play games and not have a care in the world and not have anyone to depend on you, but it's all growth. Like, do you want to grow or do you want to stay stagnant? Yeah. So, you know, you, I mean, I see you growing as an individual, as a creator. Um, so why do you keep doing what you're doing? I have fun. I said it. I love, I love running. I love pushing myself, experiencing new things. Um, I love hearing new stories and connecting with people. Um, I've had some awesome, like I was playing pool with a couple other Instagrammers or YouTubers last night and just had a blast. It's just fun. I I love it. Like seeing new places, reaching the top of a mountain that I've never been at before. It's all cool stuff. It's just fun. Do you have like a story of one of your recent travels maybe something that didn't go right or something you didn't expect or you made like a, 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 a wrong turn, but something great came out of it? Hmm. Yeah, it was a while ago, but I think I documented it in vlog form as well as I could. But the first time I went to Iceland... I lost my iPhone in the airport that I arrived in. Oh, no. So it's hard to describe how difficult it would be to navigate a a foreign land with no iPhone because I, I literally didn't know what time it was, and I didn't know where I could go to get Wi-Fi on another device. Like, it just it's so baffling to me. So... I've made a lot of mistakes and probably my biggest mistakes while traveling in foreign lands. I always remember going to Peru, I think four or five years ago is where all this started just because I read a four hour work week by Tim Ferriss Mm -hmm. buying, you know, plane ticket for two weeks to go to Peru with zero plan. Um, I realized that I needed a passport at the last second, got that expedited, but damn, like I, I went to Peru. I didn't speak a lick of Portuguese or Spanish. I didn't know anyone there. I had zero plan of what I was going to do, but I did it. And I wasn't vlogging at that point. So I didn't even bring my camera. I think I just had my phone with me and damn. Yeah. I've made a lot of travel mistakes, but I think that's part of it. You know, you got, you got to, 
you got to make mistakes. Everyone will make mistakes, but how you deal with the fact that you did it and you made a mistake and how you, you rebound is what's important, I guess. Yeah. What, what was the biggest thing that you, you know, biggest thing you've experienced um, from traveling, just traveling around the world, traveling to all these different countries? You know, what's the one thing that you maybe see that connects all this together or, you know, one thing that, or one value that you've seen from traveling? Yeah, you got to slow down. I think we do things too quickly in the U.S. We expect too much to happen. I think social media has made that worse. So I'm trying to learn how to slow down and to not have to shoot a video every day, capture, just to experience things and be okay. Um, I'd say the second thing is to not be like Michael Scott. (laughs) Well, I think one of the reasons why we love his character is because you quickly get a sense that his entire world perspective is shaped by movies and TV. So it's adorable, but you can't travel the world just thinking that London is a Jason Bourne movie or, (laughs) you know, wherever is, is just because of, you know, you can't think Iceland is just Walter Mitty stuff. Like Mm -hmm. you gotta step outside what you expect because, what you appreciate about a country is usually never what you think you're going to appreciate. So, yeah. What was like one thing that you wound up appreciating about a certain country that you kind of didn't know before entering it? I learned a lot about Buddhism and just Shinto spiritualism appreciation for nature and just a different way of doing things in japan it's just so different exact opposite of the u.s in a lot of ways um a lot of it had to do with respect i'll always remember we were outside of a ramen place like a just a normal fast food ish kind of ramen place in a city and we had like other filmmakers with us and journalists, a government worker, an interpreter. And I saw, they were like, what ramen do you want? Cause we were looking at one of the big signs with pictures on mm-hmm. the outside of the building. And I just like pointed with my, sh- my foot and my <laughs> shoe. I'm like, I want that ramen right there. Uh-huh. And they were like, do not, do not do that. Do not point with your shoe. That's so disrespectful. I'm like, why? But, I was like, okay, maybe I shouldn't do that. But then stopping, not being like a dick about it, but actually asking them why it was and just just like slowing down and thinking about different ways of doing things. I just thought that was a funny example. Like I would have never thought that pointing with your shoe at a, a ramen photo on the wall would be like anyone would care about. But it's little moments like that that are the things that you remember. It's funny. <laughs> That's interesting. I didn't even know that. But you learn, I don't you know. Even, I, don't know, I don't know if it's a thing, but it's just other countries do things differently. So it's it's good to remember. Yeah. It's the little things, the little things like that that you take with you, you know, after you, you know, 
exit that country and throughout your life. Just the little details that you wouldn't expect. It made an emotional impact for a slight second, and that's why I remember it. (laughs) So what would be like one piece of advice that you give to your younger self now that you've experienced all this? Find the right balance of risk. Because like I gave with the Fortnite kid example, you can you can survive easy without taking any risk. But if you risk too much, you can lose it all in an instant. So finding a balance between the two. It's really hard, and it's always evolving and changing. But I think living in the in the balance between those two levels that that spectrum is where you'll get the most growth and you'll get the most happiness Um, because you have to struggle a little bit to be happy I think if everything's just peachy and easy you're probably not growing as quickly as you could because you're not taking enough risk so there should be some struggle just the right amount of struggle you'll make mistakes within that space too uh, I always thought that I just, like shouldn't make mistakes and I shouldn't mess up. And I'd always get so hard on myself and be embarrassed and lash out and get mad when I like messed up or did something wrong. Uh, but it comes with the territory and you have to be able to not get devastated. I remember some like moments in my life, relationship, business-wise, etc., when I felt like the world was crashing down, like how would I ever survive this? But it's like those moments that you have to be okay, realize that it's okay. You got to shift your bubble of perspective from just yourself to the people around you and the situation. And then even a little bigger, like to the city, the country, the earth, the galaxy, the universe, And when you're thinking about the problem that you're having now in terms of the universe, it's not that big of a deal. It's not the end Mm -hmm. of the world. It's not the end of the universe. So that makes it a bit easier to deal with that situation at that moment. That's hard. You have to be able, you have to practice being able to shift that perspective bubble. I think it helps me when I actually think of it as a physical thing this invisible force field um yeah like if you delete files if you delete a wedding oh you deleted it oh no that's a terrible feeling you gotta slow down and think how can i fix this think about it in terms of your entire business okay, it's really bad and I have to make amends and like give back money if I have to and definitely like have good communication going forward, but it's not going to ruin my business. Like they're not going to lock me up and, and uh, you know, arrest me because I, I deleted this footage. So it's not the worst thing that, that could ever happen. And hey, in terms of <laughs> the US, the world, the universe, like fuck it whatever it's a little blip i'm gonna deal with it correctly but life goes on right and that's still part of the growth aspect that you were talking about 
you know, learning from it, you know, making sure you don't make the same mistake twice, but continuing to better yourself as an individual and, you know, in your career, whatever that is, you know, so that's, that holds a lot of truth for sure. But what's in it for your future? You know, what, what do you have um, going on? Anything you like to share in the next couple years or so that you want to venture into? Yeah, so the long-term play is to keep finding the courage to do things differently the way I want, the weird ways that I want to share stories or host a workshop or do whatever I do. Just do that in a real way. Figure out ways to simplify my income, whether that's just doing one workshop, helping out as many people as I can in small groups once, maybe once a month, once a quarter. If I could use use that to fund everything I do, that'd be great. I I wouldn't have to do another ad deal or sponsorship ever again. That'd be awesome. I would just make the videos I want. Definitely want to travel more. There's different difficulty levels to travel, so I want to get better at that. Start with the easy places and I work my way up. Inland China is like untouched. No, mm. no American vloggers are going to inland China. So I feel like that would represent ha double diamond when it comes to travel vlogging. <laughs> um, and more recently this week, I'm realizing that I just need to double down on people. So if I got rid of all the cameras, if I got rid of most of my social media, what's the one thing that's going to give me the most yield, the most impact, whether it's helping other people, making money, or just gaining my, or extending my sphere of influence. And that's just having a great network of friends and people who got my back and I've got theirs. So one of my best friends in the city, John Exley, is like an investor of people. And he's been doing so much for people his whole life. And he's got such an amazing network of friends. Um, he stretched himself thin, but he still figures out a way to make everyone happy. Uh, and I respect that. So I definitely want to figure out how I can get rid of all my camera stuff except my phone, but still share stories, help the people I care about, and just help people who want to follow in my footsteps. And also drink, eat, and swim. <laughs> All the good stuff. <laughs> yeah, I want to bungee jump. I never bunny, bungee jumped before. Where would you bungee jump if you were to choose a spot? This place is all over. I think a bridge would be fun because yeah. my brother's done skydiving. I see that all the time. I feel like bungee jumping would be way more fun because you have to you have to like drop you have to skydive with people the first time and it's way more expensive. And I feel like it takes forever to mm. get dressed up, take off, get up there, do it all for one drop. But mm -hmm. like bungee jump, you can do it over and over yeah. and over again. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll, we'll see. We'll see. But I definitely got to do that soon. Yeah. Hopefully make a video. So about if, it. So if any of your, your listeners are bungee jump business people, <laughs> Bring me out. I'll post an Instagram. I'll make a whole YouTube just about the bungee jump. <laughs> it will be a good one.
So hopefully you uh, get to do that soon. But just want to thank you again. Um, thank you for taking the time, Craig, for being on the podcast and sharing all your knowledge because I definitely learned a lot from what you had to say and, you know, um, yeah. grateful for that for sure. So thank you. Yeah. You seem like you're killing it. You're, 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 you're younger than me, right? How old are you? Um, I'm 25. Okay. Yeah. You're, you're doing so like, like you're, yeah. dude, two, two, no, two years is a long time, dude. I guess if you think I about it, yeah, what I was, can't, can't remember what I was doing at 25, but that's awesome. Yeah. So I guess what I would leave is this stuff is fun to me, uh, fun for me. Um, when I do my one-on-one coaching sessions, when I do my small five person group, uh, workshops, like it's a lot of this stuff. Uh, I, I could never learn just by listening or looking at a PowerPoint. I don't know who the fuck learns by PowerPoints, but I, I love learning about the people coming to my workshops mm-hmm. and that's what I get out of it. And I think I can only teach and give advice when I know who I'm talking to. So that's why I do one, two, three, four, five person workshops. Um, and if you listen to my podcast or watch my videos, you get a sense of like how much work can, can get done in such a short amount of time. So if anyone wants to check out my stuff, um, just type Craig Adams anywhere. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I finally, the last thing I had to get was that the uh, Instagram. I had Craig Adams as my handle for everything except Instagram, but I think it's been over a year and okay. Yeah. Twitter was the last, but Uh Oh, it's so nice. It's so nice to have just your name at first name and last name across every handle. But then I started getting rid of them. I got rid of Patreon. I got rid of medium. (laughs) I got rid of quit. I'm dude. I'll get rid of, I'll get rid of probably Twitter next. Uh And and then if I can just have Instagram, that would be sick. That would be the most ideal. That's, That's ambitious. But yeah, I, I think Instagram has a lot of bang for its buck yeah right now for sure yeah definitely so got to use the the platform while it's hot to its mm. to your advantage you know the most you can get out of it because yeah. it always changes you know it always changes so just have to adapt to it yeah, i th- I, th- I think i'm gonna start a musically account really no. <laughs> no, <laughs> i was gonna say i was like they're dead i don't i don't think musically <laughs> No, I think Vine. Yeah, I think I'm gonna. I'm just gonna make a bunch of vines and just hope that they bring the back that platform. Re- so resurrect. I can just up, <laughs> I can upload a hundred awesome vines. Maybe I'll just corner the market on Vine too, right? There you go, Vine. Too. No, I hear no him. one's no one's allowed to copy my idea. <laughs> Craig, you haven't uploaded to YouTube in a while. That's because I'm waiting for Vine too. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. Like Vine two is gonna come out. Vine two is gonna come out. But I don't know. I think that's just a joke. Yeah, I don't but, think it's gonna happen. No. Anyways, hey, was, you could just upload six six second films to Instagram. I see people doing it all the times. Case in point, Lily Pons. Damn, yeah, like she's just she's just doing Vine longer. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, they came out with like TikTok yeah. or something, but you know. Oh boy. Yeah, I don't know. Bunch of different apps. Time, that was time for same. that. Yeah, I know. That's a young kids game. I'm gonna leave it to the the 14 year olds. Yeah, <laughs> let them do their thing. Fortnites I'm and good. everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> how do you make a Fortnite? <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. This is fun. Thank you. Thank you, man. Great. Appreciate it. Thanks again for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I'll be placing Craig's social media links in the show notes so you can stay connected. 
And if you got great content out of this episode and know someone that can benefit from it, please share it. So thanks again for joining in. And until next time, I'll see you in the next episode. Peace.